From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. So I think what I'm saying is I think Dr. Brian Doak is a prophet. Am I speaking too far? Yes, I think that's what we're saying. Look, here's (laughs) the the takeaway. Here's the number one, just a free tip to everybody. I can't even believe I'm revealing this, but I'm just going to go for it because we're in that mood here. Yes. The key to being a great predictor of events and a great prophet is you just say a lot of things. (laughs) And if you say a lot of things, you can then just seize upon the things that come true. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Today we are delighted to welcome back to the show Brian Doak and Leah Payne. Brian Doak is Professor of Biblical Studies and Vice President of George Fox Digital at George Fox University, and Leah Payne is Associate Professor of American Religious History at Portland Seminary. They're both in the Pacific Northwest, but they are also the co-hosts of one of my all-time favorite podcasts, Weird Religion. Now, we've had them on the show before to talk about the work that they're doing and the weird things that they've been digging up with their investigations on their podcast. Today, I'm inviting them back to both look backwards and look forwards at the weirdness of religion. But before we get into all of that, Professor Brian Doak and Professor Leah Payne, welcome back to Things Not Seen. Yay. Thanks, Thank David. you, Dr. David Dalt. You are the Such hero. huge fans of you. Yes, we are. Thank you, Thank you so me. much. It's mutual all around. And I'm, I just I want to make sure that my listeners who maybe have not heard the earlier episodes or who have not had a chance to hear your podcast, Weird Religion, I wonder if we could give them just a quick overview of when they tune in, what they should expect. Okay, that's a great question. And our podcast has taken many forms over the years, but I think our tagline says it all, which is people who know religion is weird, but love it anyway. And in brief, we talk about pop culture and religion and all of the quirky, strange things that happen in just the conversation about religion and religiosity and religious communities. And there are a lot of serious things out there in the world. And both Brian and I care about serious things, but this is our space to talk about serious things in a fun and funny way. Would you add anything to that, Brian? Not one thing would I add to that. (laughs) The definitive answer. The definitive guide. Yeah, I think the the only other thing I would add is that we've really gotten, we've gone back and forth about what is the artifact or the concept on which we hang episodes. So these days, we're very much likely to listen to the Lana Del Rey spoken word track featuring Judah Smith and sort of exegete that as much as we are likely to actually watch a film. And like in the old days, we used to watch a, a discreet, media piece or even series, long things and really oh, gosh. be very organized. Yeah. But now we're just as likely to seize upon something really zeitgeistian in the moment. 
one of the reasons why we don't is just because we didn't have the time anymore. Because remember that one? We did one on Ken Burns Vietnam docuseries. Yeah, that was too much. That was a mistake. That's a huge investment. <laughs> I'm not laughing because the series is funny. I'm just laughing that it was like, it was a lot. Well, and this helps us to get a sense of what you're trying to do in Weird Religion. Let me reflect this back to you. You're having fun with religion. You're having fun with the ways in which religion interfaces with pop culture. But I want to make sure my listeners get the sense that you're not making fun of religion. You're not making fun of the ways that people practice their religion. It's not that kind of show. But instead, you're really trying to get a sense of the ways in which we can learn from the points where religion interfaces with pop culture, where religion maybe does material things in the public square that secular people wouldn't do. As I say this, am I reflecting properly the kind of ethos that you have, or would you say it in a different way? Professor Doak? Yeah, you're saying it in a great way, David. One thing I would add to that, so I endorse that statement, that correct, not making fun of, but at worst, if we're laughing with or alongside of, or even from inside of, actually, But here's the thing, a journey that I have gone on. Leah has had a different journey. But like for me, part of the journey of the podcast has been a lot of the things that appear in popular culture, particularly around Christianity broadly, my own tradition, have been in the past for me, even before the podcast, I would say, have been more like a source of embarrassment for me. I look at this stuff and I'm like, I hate this. This is terrible. This makes me feel bad. I don't want to be a Christian because of this, that kind of feeling. Whereas I think the podcast in a way has actually helped heal me and has helped me see just value and humor and joy in in a lot of just the circus of it all. It has helped me to take myself less seriously. Leah never took herself that seriously and always reveled in it. So she was always fine. But I I had to be healed though, you know? Oh, that's really beautiful. See, David, you have us already talking in ways that we don't typically talk to each other. (laughs) We only have real friendly personal conversations in front of other people. things like this. We don't (laughs) talk to each other like this. It's a very brother sister kind of thing. Yes, yes. We that's such a great journey, Brian. I love to hear that. Yeah, I think I've from graduate school. So listeners may know that Dr. David Dalton, I know each other from way back when we were both grad students. And I think when I started at a mainline Protestant seminary as a kid raised in a very charismatic household, I had to reconcile myself with the strangeness of a very different kind of tradition that's outside the kind of respectable mainline Protestantism. And so I think those years just really taught me to be, to just be fine with the strangeness (laughs) of it and to really enjoy it. But you said it so well because we, never, ever want to be mean-spirited or in any way sneering at people. We mostly just love the silliness of people are, we're all of us are strange and funny in our own ways. And that's what we hope. And, and, you know, a lot of the stuff that we cover really serious topics and we like to invite people to think about things in a kind of lighthearted way so that hopefully we're not saving the world with this, but we hope that it is good for public conversation. I think both of us have that. Do I speak for both of us there, Brian? <laughs> yeah, totally. One of the biggest compliments I think we've received on this front, which I don't, I guess we don't have to like prove that we're truly not making fun, but we did like we had a, we have a segment, a recurring segment we call the News Roundup. Or we'll just try to shock and stun each other with just the oddity of stories or, th- or stories we think the other hasn't heard. And we'll go back and forth trading these. And we had one that mentioned a Scientology story a few episodes back. And we had somebody on one of the socials 
Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. Super confusing topic right there. But reach out and say, thank you so much for talking about Scientology without laughing at me. And I was like, no, of course, that's exactly course. the thing we wanted to hear. Because yeah. even though we were laughing and saying things, that person didn't that person didn't feel laughed at. And so that was great validation for the approach. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're delighted today to be welcoming back to the show Professor Brian Doak and Professor Leah Payne. They are the co-hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, Weird Religion. We've had them on the show before to talk about their podcast. Today, we're stepping into the flow now that they've been doing the show for a number of years. We're both looking backwards and looking ahead to what might be coming for Weird Religion. Well, I want to return to something, Professor Doak, that you said just a moment ago, and ask this also to you, Professor Payne. It almost sounded as if, when you started the show, it served as a kind of therapy for you, a way to really get at the things that had embarrassed you about your own particular tradition or traditions of Christianity. Now, first of all, I want to check in and see, did I hear that correctly, Professor Doak? If not, please feel free to correct me. But if I did, I'd love for you to say a little bit more about your experience of the therapeutic aspect of doing this show. Absolutely. So let me give a concrete example, which might help illustrate it. Like for me, I think even before we started the show, or 2018, so this is almost like our five-year anniversary right now. Oh, so wow. The great, we need to do We're like one of the old-timers in terms of podcasts. One thing for me, because of the kind of charismatic traditions that I came to faith in as a essentially a college student or really a high schooler, you know, seeing things like tele-evangelists and the kind of charismatic preaching that one now expects on the internet, I felt very taken in by that and then quickly very repelled by that, feeling that it was cheap and disingenuous and fake and whatever. And I never really made the journey back to being able to see it without pain until we started looking at things on the podcast to the point where even a couple um, episodes ago, um, we did an episode called The Gold, episode 112, where I was able to watch this TikTok video of an internet preacher named Real Talk Kim. And I was like, I didn't feel any pain. Mm. Watching it. I felt That's joy. Neat. I felt joy. I felt like some of it was maybe like not my thing, right? But actually, I was able to engage in it more like with curiosity and without judgment, if I can even say that. And what happened in between those two moments? I'm not totally sure. I think it's an issue of time healing some wounds. I think it's an issue of, of, I don't know, just being more comfortable in my own skin too. And I think I can be a very intense person. So to, to talk about something in a neutral way, I feel like I can never talk about something in a neutral way. It always has to be, is this good or is this bad? And I've been in a journey in my own life to interrogate that kind of black and white thinking and ask myself, like, is, are we really in one of those kind of situations or are we in a different kind? And I've been pleasantly, even if uneasily, surprised at the answers to that. And Dr. Payne, I'd be curious for your take on this as well. Describing weird religion as a type of therapy to recover from and maybe also recover back into your own tradition, does that resonate with you or would you think about this in a different way? That is such a great question. I think one of the things that stands out to me, one of the things that I've just really enjoyed doing is keeping a kind of narrative of our scholarly lives and just our family lives over the years. And yeah, I think when it comes to, like when I think about some of my favorite, most treasured memories of growing up in a very charismatic background, and if you don't know anything about charismatic Christianity, we talk about it a lot on the show. And I've been able to share and I don't know, revel in some of just the funny 
things about what it's like to grow up in that culture, which by the way, when you grow up in it is totally normal. Like you don't know that people on the outside think it's strange. And so I think one of our favorite, my favorite episodes that we did was like, it was, it ended up being a bonus episode and it was called, I think it was called Bride of Christ. And we were talking about this idea of a certain particular part about Pentecostal and charismatic Christianity, where they love talking about Jesus as a bride of Christ. And we were swapping stories about that. And Brian shared a really funny one, just a really endearing one, actually, about an old man who was talking about how it would feel to be the bride of Christ and how he wore, like he imagined himself like in a dress, I think. And it was like the sweetest and also silly and fun. And just, so I don't know, I, that memory in particular cracks me up. And I think that was from our first season. And just to like share those kinds of stories back and forth has been a lot of fun, but I would say that the funnest part of it has been people writing to us and saying, Oh my gosh, I love that story. And then people giving us suggestions for what we should do, which we don't always take them, which we should, but it's mostly an issue of our own time management. But people write in with ideas of things that we should cover because we can tell that they're in that conversation with us. And I love that. That's probably one of my favorite parts about just our whole time together. As we're moving towards our first break, I want to stick with this sort of idea of sweet, silly, and fun. And again, it's the sweetness, the silliness, and the fun of someone who's inside the family, someone who knows the stories and the idiosyncrasies of the family, not the fun at the expense of standing as an outsider, but rather locating both of yourselves as insiders to these questions and to this discourse. And it sounds as if as you've been involved in this process, your own sense of insiderness has changed a bit. Is that fair to say, or would you say it in a different way? Yeah, I think especially we spend a lot of time reflecting on our childhoods. And also I would say that the kind of communities that we grew up in don't really exist in the same way anymore. I grew up in a community that would meet like every day, not every day, several times a week. It would be like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Don't forget about a Saturday rehearsal. And we were like, we practically lived at the church. And those types of congregations are fewer and further between. So, okay, now I'm just talking in circles. But what I'm saying about that is that I think in part, the, the type of congregation that I was raised in, I don't go to that kind of congregation anymore, but it, I don't know that it exists as much as, well, um, that phrase you're using though, this is that, that went into my heart, the phrase communities that don't exist anymore. I feel like that should be the title of a blog or a book or something, because I've been doing a lot of thinking lately about this issue. Like say you're outside around a mountain or in nature, when you see something beautiful and you feel that, right, what happens to that moment in your life? Does it go somewhere? Does it go away? And so it's mutandis by analogy, the idea of the community that doesn't exist anymore. Like I think back to my college age charismatic Bible study. It's like there were moments there. There were weird things that happened, like just strange things, illegal things, like just bizarre things. <laughs> and it's like, what happened to that? That community doesn't exist anymore. Those people exist. And, and those relationships mattered and they still matter. But like the people have gone in all of these directions and there's no way to have a happy reunion of that moment. And it's almost like, 
one has to. I almost feel like making a horrible throwback to that disastrous ending to the TV show Lost here where there's like a happy place for a reunion that occurs at the end for everybody. Plot spoiler. They're all they're making a space to have this kind of like reunion for each other. And I think to myself sometimes like, where could that occur? Or is that just totally lost? And is it just gone if I don't participate in it anymore? You know, what's weird? I haven't shared this on our pod. It has never come up. But I grew up in a congregation that a few different congregations because my father was a pastor. So he went he was at different places. But one of those places was a um, always at the cusp of becoming a megachurch. And they had all of the sparkles and the, I don't know how to describe it in a charismatic setting other than just to say it was like sequins. Everything was bedazzled, but they had a puppet ministry. They had a huge rock band. They had a little school that was there. They had all these kinds of things. And I actually saw on Facebook years ago that someone did exactly that. The congregation doesn't exist in the same way. It's not this kind of burgeoning, like exciting, suburban, megachurchy-ish type place. But people who were there in the 1990s, they had a reunion. And I should have gone. I wasn't living in the state at the time. But I wish I could have because I would have loved to have seen people trade stories back and forth about... You know, do you remember when we had a mime ministry? That's a really <laughs> singular experience <laughs> that I didn't get to hear about, in part because I think most of the people who would have been in those congregations, if they are still a part of that type of church, they go to these larger mega churches where it's it's just a lot more professional arts and entertainment. And so there's a lot less of the kind of wacky volunteerism that creates these the stories that we like to talk about with a lot of affection, but also with a lot of laughter. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Brian Doak and Leah Payne. They are both professors of biblical studies and American religious history, respectively, at George Fox University and Portland Seminary out in the Pacific Northwest, and they are the co-hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, Weird Religion. We will return to our conversation in just a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find more than 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're delighted today to welcome back to the show Leah Payne and Brian Doak. They are the co-hosts of one of my favorite religion podcasts, Weird Religion. They are talking to us today about both the show that has been going for the past five years, the sort of what has come on the show so far and how it has changed. And towards the end of the conversation, we may be looking ahead to what is yet to come, if we can think about prophetic voices here. 
but I want to shift gears slightly as we get back into the conversation. One of the first times that I was able to join you on your show, Weird Religion, we talked about, I think, a program that is a favorite among all three of us, a show called The X-Files, which was created by Chris Carter back in the 90s. And it, it really was a show that injected into the popular consciousness a kind of wild set of conspiracy theories. And that really was its stock and trade. And as I've been listening to your show through the years, one of the things that I have thought of again and again as I tune in to Weird Religion is that reality has caught up with a show like The X-Files. Like we, we now are in a period where there seem to be at least alleged conspiracies to overthrow the government, that these conspiracies go to some of the highest levels of government officials, and we also have wild allegations about viruses created in laboratories and radical cutting edge inoculations against those viruses that involve like the most minute sorts of technology, like messing with our RNA. And so I just want to throw it open and say, okay, you all have been looking at the weirdness of religion and looking at things like conspiracy theories and what have you. How have you viewed this shift in our cultural consciousness over the past five years? What has it looked like to you? Professor Payne, why don't we start with you? (laughs) Well, I have to say, first, your questions are so good. We have shared a lot more personally than I expected that we would share. And I'm really glad. And thank you so much for that question. And now you're asking about something We don't just talk about our childhood religious backgrounds. We spend a lot of time just talking about current events and stuff like this. And I have to say that the current moment makes me very happy for my co-host, Dr. Brian Doak, because I know of no one who gets more excited about UFO stuff than Brian. And You got to get out more. You'd meet lots of people. (laughs) I'm just going to point that out. No, no person who is a friend that I know that is also appropriately cautious and realistic and all of those things. So this past year, there have been several times where I we've texted each other back and forth and I'm like, I'm so happy for you right now. You are living your dream when it comes to the UFO stuff. But also, I think that we started tracking certain things and I have to give Brian a lot of props for this because he called QAnon right at the very beginning. He called a lot of the conspiratorial stuff that has been going on. He called Donald Trump's presidency right at the very beginning. And so we have just been luckily been tracking this stuff over the years sooner than other people. So I think what I'm saying is I think Dr. Brian Doak is a prophet. Am I speaking too far? Yes, I think that's what we're saying. Look, here's (laughs) the the takeaway. Here's the number one, just a free tip to everybody. I can't even believe I'm revealing this, but I'm just going to go for it because we're in that mood here. Yes. The key to being a great predictor of events and a great prophet is you just say a lot of things. (laughs) And if you say a lot of things, you can then just seize upon the things that come true. So it's true. We, we We were talking about QAnon before that was a prominent conversation. But it was because we just saw stuff that was fascinating and strange. And we, we were like, hey, this or the UFO thing. The UFO thing has always had its adherence, right? But explosion of this now. I think to your question, David, I wanted to say this one thing. With regard to conspiracies, and I write about this in a forthcoming article in the Journal of Religion and Popular Culture about Nephilim and giant humans conspiracies on YouTube. So check it out in like nine months from whenever this airs. But in the <laughs> past, to summarize, 
the scholarship and the popular conversation on conspiracy has tended to focus on what we might call negative explanations, like conspiratorial thinkers are losers, quote unquote, who seek narrative control over their world. There's a lot of research on this, but there's a new research project by a Dutch researcher. I think he's Dutch, and I don't know how to pronounce his name correctly. If I had to guess, it was Van Pruijen, P-R-I-J-E-N, and others. They've done a new line of research, several articles that I found really fascinating, and, and Leah and I have discussed this on our show, to basically point out the entertainment value of conspiracies, that these are stimulating in ways that other explanations for the world are not. And I think in an entertainment culture and in a YouTube shorts age, I think this, I think at least talking openly about how entertaining conspiracies can be, which is not to deny their deadly effects at times too, but this is an, this is a dimension that I think is also worth talking about. And so we've gone there on some of this. I'm so grateful for you bringing that in. Recently, my wife and I watched a Netflix documentary about QAnon called QAnon or Q Into the Storm, and it focused on a couple of figures that had been shadowy and then eventually moved more into the public eye who were part of one of the image boards called 8chan, later known as 8kun. And as we go through episode by episode, one of the things that came out again and again, did these guys, and they were all guys, did these guys believe this stuff? Or were they doing it, pardon the newspeak, were they doing it for the lulls? Were yes. they doing it for the sake of just having fun and poking fun at the system? It was impossible for me as a viewer watching their own explanations of why they were doing what they were doing to really get at the answer to that question. And so what I love about what you're unearthing here is narrative control of the world versus simply having a lark making fun of those who have access to power. Those seem more and more intertwined in our present day. And it takes us back to that earlier question that we were asking about the moral seriousness about what you two are doing. Because when I observe you examining and analyzing and digging into these things, I don't see you doing it simply to poke fun at people, but rather to actually get at something deeper, something that might be meaningful and useful to your listeners. Whereas we can contrast that to someone who has gone down the rabbit hole of QAnon and is really doing it, but maybe is doing it either for trying to get at the truth of something or trying to simply create as much chaos as possible. So I guess I want to ask you two about chaos. Like, where does chaos land for us in 2023, both in politics, but especially in religion? Have we lost the plot of the religious at this point, and now we're lost to, for want of a better term, a kind of live-action role-play of chaos in our public square? That is such a wow. That is a big and great question. And it brings to mind a couple of episodes that we did around the most recent election cycle. I should say the most recent presidential election cycle. And we did two episodes. One was about, we had two, two expressions of religiosity and political action. One was Paula White Kane, who famously was calling on spiritual forces from the African continent to come and overturn the 2020 election results. And then also these witches who were putting hexes on the Republican Party and I think on Donald Trump in particular. And 
I think a lot of people would look at both of those things and they had extraordinary lives on social media. So TikTok and, and Twitter and et cetera. And I think a lot of people would look at that and see chaos and disorder. But Brian and I tried to treat them as making a certain kind of sense in their own context. And we tried to look at them as there are internal logics at play that if you participate with them in their moral rendering of things, it actually makes a lot of sense. And it's a fairly reasonable way of proceeding. Now, whether or not you agree with the approach is a whole other thing. And then we also did an episode about Jake Angeli, the Buffalo festooned capital insurrectionist. He was obviously a figure of fun. I think he was a court jester type of a person. This was um, the character that also went by the name of the QAnon shaman. Am, am I yeah. following yep. that right? Yes, exactly. one and the same. Exactly. That's him. The embodiment of the kind of festive insurrectionist that people were laughing at a lot. But I think this is just tied to this larger conversation about people who are putting a different type of order to the world and who are engaging in these practices that we see as very fringe and in, are in in many cases, in fact, illegal. And uh, there's like almost no line between entertainment and reality, or there's embrace of a kind of, it's like cosplay is reality. There's not necessarily a distinction between those things. And I think that, I don't know, I tend to not see the chaos. Maybe that's just my disposition. But I think like when I see something that looks completely absurd, my first response is it has to make sense to that person because no one thinks that they're the completely unreasonable one. Like that woman that there was a viral video where this woman was on a plane and she was like, this plane is going down and I demand to be taken off this plane. I felt really sorry for her. No, she, are you talking about the video of the woman who said there's a person on the back of the plane who's not real? Who doesn't, who's not real. He doesn't exist. Yeah. Before the plane had taken off, she said, someone's sitting in here. This person is not real. Not she, real. An expletive-ridden yeah. tirade of a reptilian person that was sitting in the back of the plane. And she has since issued an apology and all of that stuff. But I, when a sort I sort of an that, apology, sort of an apology. Very well, weird. We should do an episode on that. We should. But when I saw that, I thought, in some way, like she's not thinking that she's terrorizing these people, which she was. I would be scared to death if someone were to do that. But there was an internal logic here and I wanted to know more about it, at least. And I'd love to hear, Brian, your thoughts on it. But that's how I always approach. I think no one comes at these things thinking that they are the agent of chaos. They think they're in some way bringing some sort of order to the world. And I want to know about that and I want to understand it. And I'm just so always so curious. How about you, Brian? Yeah, I'm, I feel personally caught between a, a feeling of fear about total moral and cultural relativism on the one hand, and then on the other hand, feeling precisely as you've expressed, Leah, this idea that what we call chaos from a certain perspective is in fact not chaos. It could be, in fact be an aspersion. I remember having one of my first political moments as a young man. I probably was in high school watching a news program. I remember this moment so distinctly too because I remember how I felt. And I remember there was a commentator saying that the world in this moment, because of chaos that had been happening, was, quote, that the world is out of balance. And I remember it struck me at that moment, almost from outer space, this idea that, no, the world isn't actually out of balance, like you're out of balance, right? So 
I don't know how to always negotiate between those two things. I have my own opinions and my own like moral compass about what chaos is and what isn't. But I also feel checked or worried about how something looks like chaos to me. But in fact, my life looks like chaos from a different perspective. And so what is the real chaos? This is what we're trying to define, not just that there is chaos. Well, and I'd be curious now, when you imagine your audience, when you think about your listeners, it seems to me that part of the value of a show like Weird Religion is helping people navigate the chaos at that interphase point between popular culture and the political real, if you will. So talk to me about how you imagine helping your audience do that. What sort of tools are you giving them to navigate this space of uncertainty as these events continue to unfold around us? Well, we are scholars, and I think we made a decision as we did the podcast early on that every episode, and we thank our friend Carl Nellis, who was one of the writers for the very popular Lore podcast, for giving us this advice. So shout out to Carl. But the idea was, look, he said to us, like, you two are professors. Like, what's the value add here? Like, you should be giving people research and scholarly ideas every episode, even something that I wouldn't be able to access myself. And I think we kind of made that something of a charge to ourselves. Yes, we could always go on and make jokes with each other and laugh. And I think some people would like that. But I think that value add that we're always adding is some people gather around the show who want some sense of research summarized for them and added into their lives. And I think we've been able to provide that. Some episodes have been heavier on that front, others not. But I think in in an atmosphere that has been, I don't know quite how to say this without feeling like I'm criticizing someone else. I don't feel that way in my heart. But the point is, I think when you look at the the landscape of theology and religion podcasting, a lot of it seems to me to be dominated by very pathos-filled ex-evangelical voices who are gathering around a wounding, and that seems important and legit. And I have discovered for myself that I don't want to gather around that wounding on a podcast. That, in fact, I would rather have something that's acknowledging for certain, but also, I don't know, just taking something. I think laughter is also an approach. I think laughter is a theodicy approach. I think laughter is a philosophical approach. I think we try, we probably don't laugh as much as even we used to. But the point is that we try to bring some kind of organization, some kind of scholarly organization into the show. And I think that that is, that's the value add alongside something that's a little more lighthearted. And we think we can do both those things at the same time. We don't always pull it off, but you know. Well, and Professor Payne, if I may, there were a couple of episodes back where you were bringing in some recent data from a public religion research institute poll, and you bring in sort of wisdom from the scholarly pursuit of American religious history. So I'd be interested in your take on this as well. Oh, thank you. Yes. And thank you for giving a shout out to I'm a public fellow with PRRI, and it has been an amazing experience. So it's a real delight to share some of the research that I've been able to do with them. But I think that both Brian and I come from backgrounds where not a lot of the people that we knew had a graduate level education. There were a lot of people who didn't have college education. Some didn't graduate from high school. And I'll just speak for myself and Brian, you can tell me if I'm speaking too much for you. But I think that all of the cool scholarly things that I have learned over the years in the academy, they shouldn't be hard for people who don't have graduate degrees to understand. And so I feel very passionately about sharing and turning ideas around with Brian in very accessible ways because I want, okay, this is my idealized, idealistic self. I want a thriving democracy in the United States in the future. And in order for that to happen, we need an informed electorate 
and they need to be informed about religious stuff. We have people have a, an overly secularized imagination about who Americans are, especially when it comes to things like politics. And so I feel strongly that we need to present ideas about religion and politics in ways that every anyone can understand or most people can understand. And so I think that's the teacherly side of it for me, is that I would like to create a space where one of the nicest compliments that we have gotten about the show is they said, I feel smarter when I'm listening to you guys. And that's really what I hope is that people feel like they're a part of it and that they can jump right in there. And that's the funnest part. And every now and then both Brandon and I live kind of small lives. So it's not like we're getting out and talking to a lot of people, but when we do occasionally see weird religion listeners in real life, it's a really fun thing. It's a big thrill to be able to say, yeah, what did you think about that? And they'll give us, somebody came up to me and just said, I'd never met them before. And they just said, I'm a weirdo, which is what we call our listeners. And it did freak me out for just one, one second. But then I was just really happy and excited because I thought this person feels like they're a part of the conversation. I don't know who they are. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're delighted today to welcome back to the show Brian Doak and Leah Payne. Brian Doak is Professor of Biblical Studies and Vice President of George Fox Digital at George Fox University, and Leah Payne is Associate Professor of American Religious History at Portland Seminary. They're both out in the Pacific Northwest, and they're, they are the co-hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, Weird Religion. We'll return to our conversation in just a moment. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find more than 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're delighted today to welcome back to the show Leah Payne and Brian Doak. They are both professors at colleges, universities, and seminaries out in the Pacific Northwest, but today we are talking about their co-hosted podcast, Weird Religion, where they take a loving look from an insider's point of view at all of the ways that religion is weird, and both in its private activities, but also in its public face. And we've been looking back at the last five years of the show, and now we're going to start to, I hope, look ahead a little bit. Because what I want to start to ask the both of you about is, now you have a body of data. You've been looking in detail at the ways in which the religious landscape has shifted over the last five years. And we've talked about the sort of rise of conspiracy theories, things like QAnon, but also you've talked about your own interior landscapes and how this has been in some ways a kind of therapeutic exercise for you to reconnect with your own religious traditions as those landscapes have shifted and changed as well. And I'm thinking of the words of a dear departed friend of mine and maybe of yours as well, Phyllis Tickle. And she would say repeatedly that about every 500 years, all of the major religions of the world undergo a kind of cosmic rummage sale. And they really turn everything over and they say, well, this is not going to do anymore. And they throw it in the dustbin, but they take other things and they begin to take them up in new ways. Now, as I give that image to you from Phyllis Tickle, I want to ask both of you, are you seeing this as a good descriptor of what we're going through right now? 
Is it fair to say that Catholicism is not going to be the same after this kind of upheaval period of the Synod? Is it fair to say that the major Protestant organizations are not going to be the same as they've each looked at major questions around culture war issues and they've some have divided in two over it? And these religions that have been on the fringe, we mentioned Scientology and some other religions, they're now coming more and more into the public square. Are we in a great upheaval or are you seeing this more as just part of the natural churn and there's nothing really to see here. I wonder if Leah could reflect on this concept. I think something that I see emerging more and more, the charismatic, Pentecostal, mystical environment I grew up in seemed very fringe and very segregated from the rest of the world. My sense now, in the last five years in particular, is that there's a kind of, almost like a kind of secular mysticism, to borrow a phrase I've seen recently, that seems to be pervading a lot of Christian church culture and a lot of even quote unquote secular culture that this there's this kind of blossoming of horoscope culture and those kind of things that were demonized certainly for Leah and I in our childhoods probably in different ways but maybe similarly but are now like very mainstream access points for I think that that seems to be a really notable change to me at least in my context that does that sound right Leah that stuff is really gaining traction and changing in a way that's notable Yes, I think that there is, at least in the United States, and I'm an Americanist, so that's the place where I spend most of my time, but I do look at transnational forms of religiosity, especially charismatic and Pentecostal stuff. And I would say that there is somebody who we've had on our show, and I don't know if you've had him on yours, but you should, Sam Kestenbaum talks about people, American religion as being promiscuous with their affinities and their the things that they participate in. And I think that's a great way of putting it. There is definitely, I one of my favorite thinkers is Max Weber, who talks about the very special relationship that not just the United States, but certainly like the United States has with capitalism and marketing culture. And so I think that in that milieu, Christians, along with probably most other people, religious or not, are used to selecting things for themselves and being marketed to. And that just that applies to their religious practices as well as their every other part of their lives, like how they buy a car or how they choose where to go out to eat. And so I think that in in many ways, in our 21st century capitalistic context, we are observing religious people. And because it's a predominantly Christian nation historically, we are seeing Christians do it along with other people where they are just, the boundaries are decreasing around certain types of institutions. And there's a lot more experimentation because you're right. I remember when I was a kid, like you would never in a million years, we didn't even have a dream catcher in our house. It was serious business. There were lots of boundaries around our practices. And I think you do see a de decrease in that. And then also just in our particular setting, there are every institution, we all three of us work at institutions and all our institutions are in decline, right? And every other major institution. So it's hard to say. I'm super cautious about making a neat like 500 year, 500 year thing, because I think if I were looking back, if it were 1923, I would think that I was in one of those times too, right? Because there had just been a huge world war, another pandemic, and the world had changed. Like they were like 
teetotalers had basically changed <laughs> the constitution. There are a lot, there was lots of upheaval then too. So I'm always leery of saying that we are in a particularly special time. And I almost want to say, this is maybe my childhood. Everyone's in a special time, right? This is the Mr. Rogers read. We're all in a special time, but what is special about ours? It does seem like we are feeling it because we're now. I don't know if a hundred years from now, people will think that this was the mark, like this is the line. I feel as a historian, and maybe you all can argue with me about this. I just don't think we could possibly know that. I think it'd be a people a hundred years from now will be able to tell us whether or not the upheaval that we are experiencing is as difficult or as unsettling as it feels right now. I really appreciate the perspective that both of you brought to my, let's be honest, rather large question. But in the process of answering, you've unearthed something else, and that is we three are all Americans, which means that we are living in a particular type of cultural moment where maybe unprecedented in history all the resources of the world are turned towards our entertainment. And I mean that by we are telling our moral stories that used to get told around the campfire of heroes and villains, but now they have billion-dollar paychecks waiting for the companies that produce them. And we've, you just mentioned, Dr. Payne, that all of our kind of cultural institutions, both the universities that we work for, but also the churches that we're affiliated with, those institutions are in decline. They can't really compete in the marketplace with these kind of really best-selling, and I mean that in the most aggressive sense, moral stories that we're currently telling ourselves as a culture. And so I'm going to ask both of you to now think ahead 100 years and look backwards and maybe even 200 years and look backwards. Will the stories that continue to drive the moral conversations of human beings, will those stories still be religious, or will we find that we're now telling tales of the Avengers as our moral paradigms in the way that we used to talk about King David or the prophet Amos? Are they going to be supplanted by these new gargantuan stories, or is there something in the stories of religion that has a holding value? I'd love to hear your take on that. Oh my, you're tapping into lots of things here. I got to control myself. Deep breath. Okay, here we go. I was go. like, this is Brian. This is like... I cannot personally imagine, speaking of like making lots of prophetic predictions just with no consequence. Okay, here we go. I cannot imagine the world continuing as it is for 200 years. I do not think the world is sustainable economically, morally, environmentally, and spiritually in its current place. I think it is absolutely at the edge of the cliff. And I think that religion in 200 years will be back with a vengeance because I think in a post-nuclear world, it'll be, religion will be the, it won't even be a word. It'll just be the only game. We'll all be in it. That's what I think will happen. Whew. That's the setup for a, an apocalyptic, a post-apocalyptic. <laughs> I tend to agree with a lot of what Brian just said so I'm fascinated by how markets drive American religiosity as well as everything else. And so I tend to think that the Marvel superhero trend is on the decline. I think it has become a market that has cannibalized itself. And 
you know, when I, when those movies started becoming cool, I was super excited about it because I was the nerdiest kid that ever was. The only reason why all three of us really loved X-Files is because we weren't doing anything else cool when other popular people were doing, maybe Brian was, I don't know. I know David and I are huge fans of that. So there was a, like the cult geek is chic thing has accompanied the rise of those things. And I think Americans just don't have a very long attention span. So my own thought is that because it is make-believe, there isn't enough oomph behind it to carry it forward. And I don't know if I'm being too bullish, but I tend to think that the older stories live longer. I saw this one show, which Brian, we should probably talk about on the show, a rendering of Thor, the Thor mythology. And it was really interesting because it basically had, there are like old people characters in this town that still are like the people who carry this particular ancient story. And it depicts them as people who've carried like belief in this Norse mythology for thousands and thousands of years. And they're just stubborn that way. And I guess I tend to think that there's an enduring quality to those stories. Maybe I'm wrong because you know what? I guarantee there's some Marvel or DC fan right now who's composing a strongly worded email to all of us right now saying that we're wrong. But I don't think that the comic book stories are going to be the ones we tell in the future. But what do you think, Dr. Dalt? Well, I'm thinking as you're saying this, that currently, if we're going to go with public polling, the third largest public religion in the United Kingdom is Jedi. Oh, and th- okay, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And yeah. so, and we can find those. I remember from back in the late 90s, early 2000s, stories of people who would show up to jury duty in their Star Trek uniforms. And when they were asked about it, they would say, no, this is not a ploy to get out of jury duty. It's because this uniform represents to me the highest aspirational goals of equality and justice and humanity. And so this is my saying that I really want to participate in the public sphere with these high goals. So I do think that there is something useful and aspirational in these kinds of stories. And I would also, and I don't talk about this much on the show, but I would also think about the fact that we could turn that same critique that Professor Doak just brought and also that you just brought, Professor Payne, about the kind of drawing to final line between the real and the imaginary in our stories and say there there's a level of stubbornness that we have about our stories because we don't really have data to back up the fact that the bush burned. We don't really have data yeah. to back up the fact that. And so those kind of moments are what I really love about your show, Weird Religion, is because you're taking all of this seriously, even while you're having fun with it, and you're allowing yourselves to ask these sorts of questions. The place where it was most acute for me was a recent episode of yours where you started talking about the religion of Vladimir Putin. And to me, that brings together all of the best things that you're doing in Weird Religion, because you're looking at a person who has a great deal of moral significance, and you're looking at his actions in the world from an aspect that is esoteric. We could have fun with it. We could imagine some sort of wild aspects to it. But at the same time, at the end of the day, it has such a strong cash value to really reflect on him. It helps us to understand Vladimir Putin as a whole person to think about those dimensions. So this is me as a fan just saying, I really love what you are doing because it allows me and you're giving me tools to think more clearly about things that are affecting lives of people all over the world. Can I just say, when you were talking about Star Wars and Star Trek, first off, 
big fans of both of those things. And I'm just this side of being a person who would also show up in one of those uniforms. So I love that. And I think that you bring up something. So you've got me thinking in a totally different direction now, which is the relationship between like how stories become commodities. And there was a lot of uneasiness when Disney bought the rights to make Star Wars stories in perpetuity. And I was one of the people who was like, oh, because I'm still I'm old school. There were three movies and all that. But you've got me thinking about how traditional religious stories, I'm thinking specifically of Christian stories, are also commodified. I'm thinking of the blockbuster hit The Chosen, which is a hugely successful financial project, as well as being a really like culturally. And so when I think about you, now you've got me like disagreeing with myself, Dr. Dalt, which is maybe we don't need to be maybe by claiming that certain stories are stronger than others, we're actually not reading the situation closely enough or carefully enough. Maybe we need to be thinking a little bit more deeply about what constitutes a religion or what constitutes a religious movement, because I think there's probably plenty of people, Star Wars fans, that would talk about the Force as a real thing right now. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, briefly, I'll just say that I think all of these concepts about a market and capital, they also presume that there are existing markets and capital and that people actually have spare time and resources to do this. This is what, in my own mind, and maybe it's a limitation on my part, clearly, I cannot imagine our current up into the right world order continuing enough for people to have that in 100 years or even 50 years, much less 200 years. And what I really am appreciating about you bringing that into the conversation, Professor Doak, is that you're reminding us again that what I'm doing here on a show like Things Not Seen, what you all are doing on your show, Weird Religion, it has an aspect that is entertainment, like we exist in an entertainment landscape. But it's not all fun and games, that there are real human lives, that there are real human resources, that there are real human costs to the kinds of structures and institutions that we participate in. And so I guess is my final question to the both of you, how has your own commitment to your teaching of religion, to your participation in religion, how has it shifted and changed as a result of the kind of work that you have been doing, asking these sorts of questions and bringing these sorts of analyses to popular culture and to religion's place in popular culture? One example, I referenced the paper that I have coming out in the Journal of Religion and Popular Culture, advertising it more here, but one process I went through as a scholar and a teacher and just someone engaging in that paper was that I was writing about all these materials about people who have created what seemed to me to be conspiracy or spoof fake videos about giants who have existed in the long past. And they use egregious Photoshop techniques to show these giants and so on. And I was interpreting this in light of the study I'd mentioned earlier about entertain the entertainment value of this. And like your question, David, do people who create these things, do they really believe them? And when I was being a little more ironic or playful with that, but I I had some reviewer comments kicked back to me. Some of these conspiracies, even the ones I'd pointed out in the paper, contained pretty direct anti-Semitic elements. And I pointed those out. But they were almost like, do you think you can just point those out and just breeze past that as though like anti-Semitic violence is not at its all-time high in, in the last couple of decades, literally right now? And my first reaction to that was, I was like, oh, great. Like now I'm being asked to like virtue signal that I hate racism. It's yes, I hate anti-Semitism. Like, what do you want me to say? But the more I thought about it and the more I looked at this and looked at even some of the history of the way that 
that anti-Jewish and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories have played like real roles in real violence. It's, it sobered me up a little bit and caused me to think differently just in a more serious way. Yeah, this isn't just a game for scholars to play, to just neutrally comment like I'm some kind of enlightenment hero on other people's lives. Yes, I really appreciate that, Brian. I think I've ha- I've been on a similar journey, which is to say that in some ways, I feel like the tradition that I've studied has ascended right as I've learned to study it, charismatic and Pentecostal Christianity, and they've become major players in the international religious landscape as well as the national religious landscape. And so I think I have been inspired in my scholarly self to take it very seriously and to steward the study of it, particularly as charismatics and Pentecostals ascend politically. And a lot of my scholarship is about that and it considers that. And I try to take it very seriously. So I think even as we frequently say on the podcast that this is our lighthearted place where we're talking about, we're just hanging out talking about things that we like to talk about, but I think it has inspired me as much as we have fun and talk about silly things in part, a coping strategy, because we just live in serious times, especially during the pan, like the high days of pandemic restrictions and all of that stuff. It's just been a hard time, but I feel compelled to be serious and to be a good steward of this scholarly self that has been a huge privilege, all three of us. Wow, it's a, it's an incredible honor and privilege to be able to even do this work. So I hope that in the silliness, there's also like the a place to be serious and to be, I don't know, to be that scholarly ideal we all hoped we would be when we started many years ago. Well, Dr. Leah Payne and Dr. Brian Doak, it is always a joy for me to have you back on the show. Thank you again for the work that you are doing with Weird Religion. Like I say, I'm a fan, and I hope that anyone who is listening to my broadcast and enjoys what I do will check out your show because they will be richly rewarded. So thank you for the time and the reflection that you bring to the process of creating the show. But thank you especially both for taking the time today to talk about it with me and my listeners. Thank you so much, David. Thank you so much, David. We're huge fans. We've been speaking today with Professor Brian Doak and Professor Leah Payne. Brian Doak is Professor of Biblical Studies and Vice President of George Fox Digital at George Fox University. And Leah Payne is Associate Professor of American Religious History at Portland Seminary. They're both based in the Pacific Northwest, and they are the co-hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, Weird Religion. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park here on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. Our show is made possible in part by the generosity of supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. 
I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.